Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast from ABF, The Soldiers' Charity. I'm Lorraine Kelly. The Soldiers' Charity is 75 years old this year and this series of podcasts is our way of sharing a few of the stories of some of the people it helps. Today, I'll be introducing you to two people whose lives were changed forever by war and conflict and finding out how they've adapted to their new circumstances. Most of the people we're hearing from in this series of podcasts are military men and women who have seen active service. Today's guests are different. Alex Hale was just eight years old when she was told that her father, Captain Mark Hale, had been killed in Afghanistan. That was 10 years ago. People do say all the time to you, they're like, oh, it'll get easier, it'll get easier. And I don't think that's true at all. I think the only reason it seems to get easier is because you find ways of dealing with it. It is. It's a huge loss. The 13th of August 2009 is forever going to be one of the most prominent days of my life. I'm never, every detail of that day, I remember it. Andrew Blair was also eight years old when he was told, 40 years ago, of the death of his father, Lieutenant Colonel David Blair, who lost his life in the Warren Point ambush in Northern Ireland. I look at him and what he achieved you know, when he was 40, when he was killed, and I sort of feel somewhat embarrassed by the lack of what I've achieved in comparison. But I think it does feel really hard. It still hurts. But I do, increasingly as I've got older, reflect on what his achievements are. Until now, Andrew hasn't publicly spoken about his loss, but he's a proud supporter of ABF, the soldiers' charity. And as you hear in this conversation with Dave Roberts... He wanted to use this podcast as a way of talking about both what he experienced and how the charity has helped him. You know, I remember the day well because we had heard there had been an explosion, but of course there'd been no confirmed report in relation to who had been impacted by that explosion. We then found out that there had been two explosions and actually a further explosion. And so... My mother had actually gone down uh, to Edinburgh in advance of us because she had to go to a funeral. So I do remember her feeling very panicked, but desperately trying to, I suppose, shield my sister and me and indeed my grandparents from the stress that she was clearly feeling. And then it was at around nine o'clock. And those days, the news was at nine, not at ten that some family friends who were in the regiment came over and quickly turned the television off, and then we were told. My sister and I were told by my grandfather. I remember the words as if it was yesterday, is what he said. You know what's happened. Your father is dead. My reaction was one of... I was completely stunned. An actual fact, you say, how were the events following that? You know, I think... I look upon it now that clearly, as an eight-year-old boy, I was clearly suffering from some form of post-traumatic stress disorder. And I was literally silent for several years. I suppose now I perhaps could have and should have had counselling. But of course, at that stage in the late 70s, it wasn't understood. And so my mother felt, as did you know my grandparents, that the most important thing for me was to, and my sister, was for us to have a good education. And whilst the schools were, you know, far away from Edinburgh, my school was near 
um, near Windsor. My sister's school was near Reading. It was deemed the best thing to do for, I suppose, sort of consistency to for us to continue to go to those schools. Now, the issue was from an affordability factor that we couldn't afford to pay for the school fees. And so my prep school um, actually intervened and they started paying for a third of my school fees. Um, the Army Benevolent Fund, the Soldiers' Charity, paid a third of my school fees. And then we had to muster the money for the remaining term. But if it wasn't for the ABF's contribution and indeed the school's contributions, my education would have been very different. So turning to your, yourself, Alex, uh, you lost your father, uh, Captain Mark Hale, 10 years ago um, in Afghanistan um, uh, when you were eight years old. Um, what do you remember about the day that you were told this and, and how you reacted Im- Im- immediately to hearing the news? Um, I had moved to school the year before um, and so I was at my school summer scheme and I remember we'd been to Belfast Zoo that day and for me it was a very normal day. Mum dropped me off, mum dropped my sister off at her work experience. Um, it came to the end of the day at the summer scheme which I think finished at around two or three and everybody had gone home and nobody had come to pick me up. And I was there for about an hour after everybody had gone home and my teachers were asking me, um, Alex, when's your mum coming? Is it definitely your mum picking you up? And, well, I was just, I was eight, so I was just like, of course mummy's coming to pick me up. Anyway, my auntie and uncle arrived. I was a little bit confused, but as an eight-year-old, didn't question it. It was just like, oh, Auntie Jilly's picking me up today. So went home. As we were approaching the house, there was lots and lots of cars parked on the pavement and in the middle of the road and just kind of abandoned left, right and centre and I was really excited about showing my auntie and uncle my brand new school shoes because school was starting three weeks after so I was very, very excited about that and I rushed through the front door and mum was just waiting standing at the bottom of the stairs and she was like Alex, we need to have a chat, can we go to your room please? And I was still really excited about my school shoes, big part of my day was showing auntie and uncle my school shoes and I was like no I need to show them my school shoes mum was like Alex I need you to calm down can you please come up to your bedroom so I went up to my bedroom and she sat me down on my bed and put her arm on my shoulder and she was like Alex daddy has gone to heaven and he didn't have time to come home to say goodbye and I just looked at her and then I screamed I screamed about how I needed to show daddy my new school shoes And I screamed for about 10, 15 minutes and then I just cried and I didn't stop crying. And so mum just sat with me while I cried until I stopped. And then I went downstairs and I seen my sister. And at this point, we we had so many people in our house, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head who was there now. It was just a bit overwhelming, really. I just sat in the back room with my sister um, eating biscuits because, well... What else do you give an eight-year-old when they hear some of the most traumatic news? Um, and so, yeah. And then as it progressed, we obviously went to um, Wooten Bassett for Dad when he was um, coming home. Very, very sheltered throughout the whole thing. Mum made sure that well, I didn't have an understanding of press at the time, not until a couple of weeks later anyway. Um, and I was all very sheltered. I was with family and um, some of Dad's really, really good friends. And for an eight-year-old, I think that was that was quite scary. I'd never been to a funeral before, never mind standing on the side of a road in a village with cars coming down with coffins in the back of them. I had no no concept of of death or anything. For me, heaven was something you heard in a fairy tale. So that everything happening around me, I had absolutely no understanding. In my head, 
I was still waiting for daddy to come home with the rest of my friends' parents who were going to be coming home in the November after the tour. And so, yeah, I think I was very, very confused for a very long time. People do say all the time to you, they're like, oh, it'll get easier, it'll get easier. And I don't think that's true at all. I think the only reason it seems to get easier is because you find ways of dealing with it mm. rather than it actually getting easier. And it is, it's a huge loss. The 13th of August 2009 is forever going to be one of the most prominent days of my life. I'm never, every detail of that day, I remember it. The days after, interestingly, even the, Christ, the first Christmas without dad, I have no recollection of what happened. I think I just kind of shut down and kind of came into myself. Um, but the day itself is, is one of the most prominent days. Do you find you have good days and bad days? Absolutely. I always find when I'm, when I'm stressed about something or if I'm worried about something and whether it's not going to go well, for me, the bottom line is always, would dad be proud of me for what I'm doing? Or like, what would he think? Or what if I fail? What would dad think then? It's, it's not a great uh, approach to have when it starts to get negative. I think when something good happens and you think, my dad would be so proud of me, it is, it's a great, great feeling, but it can have a huge negative impact as well. I think the funny thing is now is, is my father was 40 when he was killed, and I'm now 47. And it's sort of when I hit my 40th birthday, that was quite a moment because you know it was the same I was the same age you know as my father was when he was killed and whilst society and the environment was very different then you know you do then become quite circumspect as to what you've achieved in relation to my father had achieved and the great thing about you Alex is you're only 18 so (laughs) you've got bags of time Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we're all looking at you and all the (laughs) wonderful achievements you're going to have. Got 24 years. (laughs) 24 years to go. (laughs) Yeah, well, my dad was 42 when he was killed. And I think, yeah, he achieved, well, an extortionate amount of things in a very short space of time. He, um, I was told when he went to go do his late entry officers course, they're all sitting in a room. And obviously, whoever was running the course, the colour sergeant or whatever, was asking, like, what qualifications they had. And they stopped at A-levels. Obviously, my dad didn't have GCSEs or A-levels, so my dad didn't put his hand up at all. And he got, like, halfway through this course and he was doing his work. And he was accused of someone else doing all of his essays for him. And my dad obviously turned around and was like, oh, well, I've just finished my master's in psychology. And they just kind of... sat there a little bit stunned I guess and they're like why didn't you say and I was like well you didn't ask so <laughs> <laughs> so there was uh, well there was no need to say I guess before that So Andrew your father was, was killed at Warren Point on the same day that Lord Mountbatten was also uh, murdered and they were enormously high profile events back in 1979 did you have any idea that you were part of that enormous event that had happened on that day? Again, you know, like Alex, I was, as an eight-year-old, I was shell-shocked. And, you know, I think an eight-year-old, you just think about how this impacts you rather than the fact that a member of the royal family had been murdered on the same day as 18 soldiers. I think I obviously recognise it now, but at eight, you just really think about how does this affect me? You know, I'm not going to see my father again. You know, how does it affect my sister? How does it affect mum? So I think the impact 
of what was a well-publicised event. And I think in many ways the difference between Alex and myself was that the media wasn't so intense in the late 70s. And so therefore, I suppose the, the enormity of Mountbatten being killed didn't really impact me. I suppose retrospectively, looking at it now, in many ways, because the bigger story of the day was Mountbatten, there was some feeling that Warren Point was slightly forgotten, even though it remains as the worst atrocity that the British Army suffered in Northern Ireland. And Dad was the most senior officer killed in Northern Ireland. But certainly as an eight-year-old, I was too young to appreciate the enormity of what happened. Alex, your dad, Captain Hale, the tributes to him are astounding. Um, he was clearly a man of you know, immense character. And therefore, also, the intensity of the scrutiny at the time was uh, fairly uh, significant in the fact that he was the longest-serving soldier to have died at the time. Were you aware of all of that swirling around yourself at the same time that you were grieving for your father or coming to terms with that? Not at that point. Growing up in Northern Ireland, obviously Dad's job, I was kind of kept away from it quite a bit. I knew that Daddy was going away and doing all these jobs in other countries, but I I was never explicitly told, if you like, that he was in the army. We didn't live on an army camp or anything. We just lived in a normal village, and so living in Northern Ireland, it was something we had to be quite careful about so until dad was killed I didn't really have any understanding of his job at all I think that made everything else come as a bit more of an extra added shock I I wasn't really aware of it until his funeral and all of a sudden you know something that's meant to be for family and friends facing me as we were walking into the church were all of these cameras I was very, very confused. The whole, the, the whole experience, even up until now, it's just all very confusing and it is a bit of a whirlwind. As time went on, um, you, you hear the more positive stories about, about my dad, I guess, for me. My mum has a book, um, which for me is a little bit odd, but at the same time, I get to read all of these wonderful things that people say about my dad and I get to know him through that and through what people have said about him in the press because what it is for the most part, very, very positive. Um, and so I kind of get to know my dad's character through that. Both of your fathers had ahead of them continued great careers. They would have done. Um, you, you, Alex, your father, had come up from being a junior soldier at yeah. 15, 16. Has that had an impact on how you've viewed your lives as you've gone forward? I think that there's a mix. Dad, obviously, well, he joined the army when he was um, 16. He turned 16 in the April and was in his training in the May. So education for Dad came later on, but he was highly, highly intelligent from what I understand. And so I guess there is, there is a pressure with that, but I think it, it's a positive pressure. My dad's left big, big boots to fill, um, but it's a challenge and every step you take, I don't know something quite impressive for yourself. It's a personal achievement. And similarly, my dad, he did national service, never went to university, but then went to staff college. And from what I remember of him, and of course, like Alex, I was only eight, <clears throat> um, the importance of a good education was always something that was sort of instilled into both me and my sister. When I was at my prep school, I'll be honest, my 
academic prowess was pretty limited. In fact, it was pretty shockingly awful because I was in, you know, like Alex, I was in terribly confused. And, and so it was really the goodwill of the secondary school I went to that took me on and with their support and when I finally got my act together, which I'd suggest wasn't until I was 16, that I actually did reasonably good A-levels and got into Cambridge. Yeah, I've just finished my A-levels and going through school was quite challenging with that. My dad, I think he might have got GCSEs, I'm not entirely sure, but he definitely didn't do the equivalent of A-levels. And that was challenging because obviously you want to do the best that you can and you want to achieve the best you can. But when I was doing my GCSEs, say 14, when I just started them, I came across a huge stumbling block. All of a sudden, I didn't really deal with grief when I was eight. I had I didn't know what grief was. Um, And so when I hit 14, I kind of hit a bit of a brick wall and, well, stop. It was the middle of my GCSEs, but I didn't care about that. I missed my dad and I felt I couldn't talk to anybody because, well, it's, well, it was, what, six years on? You don't miss people after not seeing them for six years. You're meant to get up and get on with this. So that was, that definitely made, made, made school harder. It's nice. I've now, I'm going to uni in September and to have got that far is, is a great achievement. The similarity of what you're saying, Alex, with me, we were obviously the same age. Um, and from what you've said, and I think really what I've said, it, it just, the, your whole world is turned upside down. And actually, it, it was both, I'm sure, yourself and me that I actually, at that stage, resisted quite a lot of attempts to help me because it was something that I wanted to deal with myself and it was the good nature and the good grace of the schools and the likes of the soldiers charity who provided that financial support which is something we needed that has meant that you know I've ended up with an incredibly good education which is one that I'm you know hugely grateful for and has helped shape my career as to what it is today and it's something that I've learned from this experience is that, you know, an Im- the importance of a good education cannot be underestimated. So obviously when you um, lose a parent, it's a massively traumatic event in anybody's life at whatever age. At your ages at eight and, and the years that followed that. How did you manage and how did you experience the changes to your routine? Thankfully... We had a lot of supportive family friends. Mum's from Northern Ireland, so a lot of her like core friends all lived very, very close to us. My elder sister, Tori, was at boarding school. so And I, I went to the same school as her after prep. So she was able to go back to boarding, who were able to offer exactly what she had before that summer um, and so mum was really able to just there were, it was it was obviously a struggle mum worked in a completely opposite direction to where my school was and where everything that I did I did ballet I did swimming thankfully I don't know how mum managed but I kept on doing it all I kept on doing it I don't know where she got the energy for it from you know ballet in Hillsborough and then eight miles away in a different direction I was swimming and then back home 40 minute drive away I I don't know how she did it um but we managed similar with me you know I was boarding at a prep school so they I suppose provided 
the infrastructure. And I think what was interesting from what they did at the school, and certainly at my prep school and, and later at my public school, that they knew that they couldn't replace my father, but they gave me plenty of encouragement um, and, and basically made me think of a way that I could improve myself. And it took a long time. Uh, and they were very patient. And actually, if it wasn't for the support of my mother and indeed my sister, who you know helped me on that journey, uh, I sort of found that certainly at a boys' school, the way that people are impressed is not necessarily with academics. Um, it was if you're good at sport. And so I actually put a real focus on sport. And I became a reasonable rugby player and hockey player. But I think it was almost that sport that gave me the confidence that I was lacking as a consequence of dad being killed. It's some 10 years since your father died and 40 years um, since yours. How do you feel about keeping his memory alive? I think for myself, I've, I've got quite involved with the soldiers' charity. They obviously stepped in and they tried to fill his boots in a way that mum couldn't do by herself by keeping me um, in prep school and stuff and so uh, yeah being quite involved going out in collections with them um, this year actually I did an abseil off the most bombed hotel in Europe which is the Europa um, I did an abseil off that and raised £3,000 um, and things like that I enjoy doing it's something my dad was always into charity work. He cycled the length of Northern Ireland down to the Southern Ireland down to Cork um, for charity. He was very, very into cycling and he was on an hour ago rowing the distance from Sangin to Pegasus Bridge when he was in Afghanistan. And so for me, that was a way I could kind of relate. That was definitely something for, for keeping him alive and his memory alive. And my sisters also found that similar as well. I had a different view you know Alex you and I have said almost not identical but very yeah. <laughs> similar things but actually after the first few years I did everything but to try and forget about him and the reason being was I found it too difficult to talk about so there were pictures of him that I had at prep school that I hid in drawers because I just couldn't deal with it and it wasn't until I got older that I actually was strong enough to be able to talk about it and actually I was often told that if I followed in his footsteps, you know, if I was half the man that he was, I'd do very well. And again, that was all part of the, the rejection um, that I sort of didn't want to be constantly reminded of how good he was. But obviously, that was a long time ago. I've recently become an ambassador to the ABF, the Soldiers Charity. So I haven't done as much as you. I certainly haven't abseiled off the most bombed hotel in <laughs> Europe. I'm not looking to do that anytime soon, by the way. But I, you know, very happy to, you know, talk at events, talk about, you know, what happened to me, but particularly as to how the ABF, the Soldiers Charity, you know, supported me. And it wasn't just me, it was my mother and indeed my sister as well. Looking back on that moment, those years following the death of your fathers. What was the help that, from, that you believe that you needed, that your mothers needed, and in both cases your sisters needed? How does that look from your perspective when you look back on it? Initially, it was what 
I needed. I think it doesn't, as I said, eight, it's a very young age. I didn't deal, well, I didn't start to deal with any of it until I was 14. And that's when I felt it was missing. But that was mostly because I wasn't talking about it. I was too scared to talk about it. I didn't want to be like, oh, I miss my dad. That was six years ago. I felt like people would turn around and be like, well, like that was six years ago. Come on, get on with it type thing. Um, there was an emotional support missing, but there's no one to blame for that. I think it's just, well, it's just how it went. But I had it with my sister. My sister really, she was eight years older than me. She was 16 when um, my dad died and she really stepped up. She matured very, very quickly and really took me under her wing. I was quite fortunate to have her around. I was too young and shell-shocked to sort of really consider the support that we were getting. I didn't appreciate the enormity of the financial support that we were getting in retrospect I think, you know, like Alex, some emotional support would have helped. You know, I think possibly any distinction between me and Alex was that Alex was a bit younger than me dealing with it uh, at 14 and I was close to 16. And I think the problem was, was that in an all-boys school, it can be quite a tough environment and you don't want to show your Achilles heel. And mum obviously was supported hugely. So we were in... Redford Barracks uh, in Edinburgh. We moved to a house in Swanston Village, interestingly called the White House, um, because it is white. Um, and then we then we moved again. And I think, you know, she felt, as did a lot of our friends, that again, if we had a stable education and a stable place to live, that would all help with the whole stability of us getting through what we'd suffered. Alex... Tell us about the uh, word undentable. Undentable. <laughs> so Dad's CO at the time, Rob Thompson, wrote a piece on Dad after it happened and gave him the name undentable. Obviously, it's a word that, well, it's not, it's not really a correct word, but it was <laughs> invented, if you like, um, by Rob to try to describe my father's character and, and who he was. It helped, it helped me understand him a bit more, I guess. Um, but he was, Dad was a man of um, many talents and it didn't seem like he had held a lot of fear in regard to anything. And he was always there to look after his boys, his soldiers. I've heard that when you went on patrol with my dad, while he was the officer there, it was never Sir, it was Mark. I guess his career in the army, starting at the age of 16 up until 42, made him the undentable man that he was. You've been listening to two people, Alex Hale and Andrew Blair, whose fathers gave their lives in the service of the British Army. I want to thank all of the guests we've heard from in this series of podcasts, but I'd especially like to thank Andrew and Alex for talking about what they've experienced. They didn't choose an army life, but they've both been profoundly affected. If you'd like to know more about ABF, the Soldiers' Charity, in this, its 75th year, then just visit soldierscharity.org where you'll find everything you need. I'm Lorraine Kelly. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.